Welcome everyone to this very special edition podcast series on the 2020 Bitcoin halving brought to you by our friends at Bitstamp, the original global cryptocurrency exchange. Since 2011, Bitstamp's been the preferred exchange for serious traders and investors everywhere, trusted by over 4 million customers, including top financial institutions. Check them out because they've got some serious professional grade trading technology, including matching engine from NASDAQ, some of the best APIs in the industry and TradeView, their advanced trading interface with live charting and deep analytical tools available on web and mobile. Join 4 million traders and download the Bitstamp app from the App Store or Google Play, or visit bitstamp.net slash pro to get started. That's bitstamp.net slash pro. And for Bitstamp users, we've got a special. Masari is now offering 25% off Masari Pro, our professional grade crypto analytics toolkit, with best in class research and advanced tools to help you identify your next investments. Head over to masari.io and use the offer code Bitstamp to get ahead of the crypto curve. That's masari.io, offer code Bitstamp. With that, let's dive right in. This episode's going to be a good one. All right, everyone, welcome back to this special episode of Masari's Unqualified Opinions. I'm Ryan Selkis at 2-Bit Idiots. have a very special guest today to talk about the Bitcoin halving. He's been through two of them already, and this will be a third. I'm talking about Charlie Shrem, one of the OGs in the Bitcoin industry I've known for a long time. He's had a very colorful history and an even more colorful shirt, which we're very disappointed. Yeah. Um, somehow... Uh, the Zoom filters were making this blue shirt of his, if you're watching, uh, turn into a camo, rainforesty type of uh, montage. And then I think the light just worked against us. So it, it might be coming in and out uh, as, as, you're, as you're watching yeah. this conversation. Um, but uh, it's fitting because you certainly are one of crypto's most uh, colorful OGs. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and so, Charlie, I think you know, most people probably know who you are. Well, at least they know the headline version, but um, I want to I want to start the conversation just by going back, like way back, uh, and and talk about the early days of Bitcoin and um, and and in particular maybe that first having. But um, but for for the few that don't know the backstory of BitInstant and and kind of the the very very early Bitcoin crowd, um, why don't you just uh, fill everybody in on on your background, how you got started, and um, and and we could talk about some of the the early days uh, pre having 1.0. Yeah, thanks. And I'm really happy to be here on the show and, and our personal histories of inner women like so many times. But what's interesting about uh, the having and, and like my own, my, my personal story is I, like you said, I've been through three havings, but now I'm, I'm almost, I'm almost, uh, I'm at that point now going into, as we were going into 2020 and now going into 2021, eventually, where I'm going through my own personal decade in Bitcoin. And so I'm saying to myself, what have I done in the past 10 years? What do I want to look forward like personally, like Charlie Shrem over the next 10 years in Bitcoin? So it's almost like I'm having my own having coming up in the next um, like year or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, the, uh, we, we talk about what's next and, and how you're thinking about your own personal having. Um, but you started in uh, 2010, late 2010, right? Early 2011. Yeah. It, was, um, so it was around that time. Yep. So, so t- talk a little bit about your discovery and, and uh, that early year and a half or so when, when Bitcoin, A, was still a science experiment, B, um, was uh, very early on in, in the life cycle of, of just the creation of the currency and, and the availability of, of these different units of currency. 
it's so interesting because um, we talk about like the years back then, no one really cared what year or even month or day you got involved. In fact, I know a lot of people, myself included, who almost wish we created like our forum accounts a little bit earlier so we could be a little bit more OG, you know? I almost, I wish I, I made my forum account in 2010 and I just was a lurker for so many months. I just, you know, most people, when do you create a forum account when you want to post something, right? So a lot of people uh, are looking for their, and you're seeing it more and more, looking for their, like when they first got involved, their first, like when they first tweeted about Bitcoin and everything like that. Um, mm-hmm. But those, those early years, and, I, and I'll use Bitcoin now, and then eventually I'll, I'll start, like, I'll, I'll try to do it in a, in a way with integrity of, like, Bitcoin. Then there was, like, all coins in Ethereum, and then there was a, the larger crypto space now. So I, I try to use them as accurately as possible, although I don't do my best job. Like, I'll, I'll confuse Bitcoin with crypto or whatever, whatever, but I don't want anyone to think, like, differently. So, so Bitcoin in the early days um, was, very, was very kind of a, an online-only place. So for the first year... Everything was online. It was all chat rooms. It was mostly uh, through Bitcoin Talk forums, which wasn't Bitcoin Talk. It was forum.bitcoin.org, which was the site that Satoshi created, forums that he created along with uh, Marty Malmi and Sirius. Um, and that was where everyone was. Um, eventually, you would see, so that was the official, the forums that was moderated, and then the unmoderated chats and conversations and like company announcements were happening on IRC, the internet relay chat. Um, in mm-hmm. fact, I think Bitcoin developer meetings are still happening on like the IRC. I, I, are they? I'm, I'm pretty sure Luke told me they're still happening there. So um, it's kind of crazy how, like where we've come since then, but that's where everyone got started. And in fact, you couldn't launch a company if you didn't make an announcement on Bitcoin talk forums on or forum.bitcoin.org on the Bitcoin forums. You couldn't, Coinbase launched, BitInstant launched, Bittrex launched, every OG company today launched on Mount Gox even launched on the Bitcoin talk forums, right? Um, everyone launched on, on Bitcoin talk. And that was like almost a rite of passage because what'll happen is, and this is actually, it's funny to bring this up. I've never really talked about this before. Um, what would happen is someone would say, Hey, did you check out this company or did, what is this company reputable? You would look at their forum post, and it didn't really matter. Like if you got a company that had 167 pages you know that the forum is ripping that company to shreds and that company's responding and it's going. So talk about transparency and disclosures that you and I have talked about. That's what it was back then. You'd have all the, so you have a company that would launch and have one page and it would be all the company just like posting announcements. Okay. This company's not really. And in fact, that's how ICOs were judged back when the first ICOs were launched in coins were how many pages, like what's the community like? And then you would actually look, there were some people that were members of the community. I don't want to name them. I were members of the forums that were like legendary members. And you'd almost look and say, why didn't this guy comment on that token or that project or that coin? I'm, I'm talking about like 2014, right? And so mm-hmm. that, was, that was the early Bitcoin community. Um, you, uh, you just give people a sense for how many people were in the forum at that point. You called yourself a lurker in 2010, but you know, 2010, 2011. Um, a few hundred people, it, maybe. maybe yeah, I've, yeah, I mean, I've, found, I've also found it interesting, like the platform graduations that people have made, right? So at first it was Bitcoin talk. Um, then it was our Bitcoin. Uh, and then it was probably Twitter, right? The, the three life cycle so far. And I'm curious if there's going to be another platform 
see change uh, in in the coming years, particularly with some of the censorship that's going on the major you know social media platforms uh, and and you think, just how toxic crypto Twitter is right now. Do you think people left crypto Reddit for crypto Twitter because of issues with crypto Reddit, or did people leave crypto Reddit for crypto Twitter just because Twitter was like the next evolution of? Because that answers your question: are, is people are people going to leave because of like a natural evolution, or will people and people in the crypto community? Will it, it more of like a natural progression to something else? Uh, I think it was. I think it's a little bit of both. I think the the toxicity uh, and and particularly around like the Bitcoin having, and around um, the fact that Ethereum launched and and you know there was a bifurcation of of the conversation between um, what you'd see on our Bitcoin and our Ethereum and and some of the other subreddits. So uh, Twitter was just more interoperable that way, but. Um, you know, Bitcoin. I'm trying to remember what I did on the last halving. I don't. I'm like juggling my mind, and it's bothering me. Because I remember two halvings ago, but I don't remember the last halving. Um, well, we can get to the the second halving. Um, and for those watching, the oh, camera is back in full effect, uh, which is exciting. Um, for for the first halving, uh, you this is late 2012, so you're running Binance at the time. What um, what were some of the considerations that you had, if any, in terms of uh, technical concerns or, or, you know, was this a marketing event for you? Did it really move the needle one way or the other? Oh my God. How, how did you guys think about the okay, first Okay, I love talking about this. The having for me uh, and like my little uh, crypto friend group is a huge, huge, huge big deal for us because in the beginning it was almost seen as a Y2K moment, worse, mm -hmm. because Dude, we, you're talking about like, first of all, the Bitcoin code base is, it was so small at that point and still is, you know, for, for what it is. I mean, if you compare what Bitcoin does with what like Visa or MasterCard does or any other, you know, banking software, you look at like the, the core Bitcoin code base, it, it's so small compared to like what, you know, to these other ones. But, um, you know, you, you look at this and, and here's a section of code that's never been used before um, or it'd be used like once. So as the years, as the happens go on, this section of code is being used obviously every four years more and more. So there's a little bit more of like uh, a known, you know, there's like, we, we know that it's going to be okay. But back in 2012, during that first having, there was a huge fear of, is this going to work? Is, is, will the mechanism that switches the block reward, you know, cause you're talking about, it's a very, it's a, it's not, there's no gray area. It's a very quick switch. It goes from one block is, 25 Bitcoin and then or 50 Bitcoin and the next block is 25 Bitcoin. So it's a huge shift. So you're talking about a section. The fear was at least for me and for a lot of people was are our new miners going to accept the new blocks? Are the, is the software going to say, whoa, we're already, we're looking for 50 Bitcoin rewards. You know, the Coinbase, it's all built into the Coinbase, right? Not the company Coinbase for those listening. Uh, that was actually taken up after, uh, you know, the, uh, part of the transaction on Bitcoin not to get too much into the reads, includes a Coinbase of a newly mined block. So, so what happens there? Um, and that was a huge fear. So it wasn't the parties of the day. There was no cakes. It was more like sitting at our computers and IRC hoping Bitcoin doesn't die. That was the mm -hmm. first having for me. And there was a celebration, don't get me wrong, but it wasn't about price appreciation. Price appreciation, because no one really talked about price appreciation, right? We were just lucky that Bitcoin was, was alive and up from the price of the day before. Right. Mm -hmm. We all saw day jobs. We all regular jobs. Tony Gallippi, the founder of BitPay was a, was a photographer. You know, um, I was working, I forgot where I was working. Everyone had like different real jobs. You had a real job, everyone had real jobs. 
Um, and so that was that first having. The second having, um, in 2016, like I forget where I was, but I do remember it was more celebratory. I was less, mm -hmm. is this going to work? Although I have to admit, I did psych people out a lot. I would like hype yeah. people up and like, listen, I don't know if the having is going to work or not. You know, it could, it, it could break Bitcoin and people would get in you know, my friends, but they knew I was joking. Um, so it was more celebratory on that, on that front. Um, I remember we got a cake. Um, Luke Desheer was there. Or maybe that was our Segwit party. We had a Segwit party too with a Segwit cake. I think I, know, I, know I, like, where you, I think I know where you were for the second halving. So maybe that's why it all blends together. Oh no! Wait, I was with you for the second <laughs> halving. I was with you for the second halving, wasn't I? In New York doing that doing that event. Uh, I think yeah, I, I think that you were just. Uh, it was somewhere around then because it was the summer of 2016, and you you just gotten out, right? Yeah, I just gotten out, and my first it was the first halving, and I remember. Like we were talking in one of the first events that I did. So it may have been around that time, like May or June of 2016. We have to look it up because we were celebrating something or you're doing like a whole Coindesk speaker series. But that, that AMA that I did that you ran, um, that I did with Pete Rizzo was like uh, one of my first times. And I was nervous that I would be a little bit weird. And I feel like I was a little bit. But, um, but so that was that, you know, the 2016 having, let me ask you a question. What do you feel about the sentiment around that having versus the sentiment around this having? And how did COVID like throw a ringer in all of that, do you think? Uh, I actually think that the two are very similar. I think uh, both were overhyped and both served as life rafts of sorts for people that were kind of grasping it at, you know, the Bitcoin uh, narrative in a macro context. And you know, it's slightly different because the backdrop's different, but in 2015, 2016, we were coming off really a Bitcoin depression. And a lot of the biggest companies that people know today, um, you know, many of them were on life support um, after you know, a prolonged period in the 200s yeah. in 2015 and, and kind of a, a venture capital environment that had mostly dried up and um, just a, a series of headwinds that you know, did not make Bitcoin's future success, certainly not the infrastructure, a foregone conclusion. Um, and I think the... Uh, you know, the 2016 uh, rally leading up to the having and and kind of the rally around you know our our first consensus conference at CoinDesk that spring in New York um, both I think helped rally spirits and 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 morale and and you know people were able to um, look at this as a catalyst for uh, picking up the the macro conversation around Bitcoin as a, a, a digital gold and, and store of value. And the fact that, it, you know, at that time, the inflation rate, you know, at, at that having dropped into the low um, or, or mid single digits, your, I think. Your was first important. consensus was in 2016, right? Or 2015? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was right. It was it was right before the um, the second having. Right? I so, went to the second. I went to this. I went to the second consensus, I believe. And that was mm -hmm. around this time of Segwit 2X. That's well, not before that, but it was around that time. I'm well, trying to get the date Yeah. Yeah, the New York. So I don't think I was at the first one, but I, I distinctly, because I was looking at the charts the other day, I distinctly remember like the, the all-time high didn't happen until at least a year and a half after the, that halving. But also um, around the time of the halving, there, was, there wasn't much price movement. Like the price was still low. We di the difference was you, we went through this $200 like prolonged headwind depression, like you said. And then pre-halving, we started 
sitting around five, six hundred dollars. And there was no, and I remember this because when I went into jail, the, the prison price was around two hundred dollars. And when I got out, the price was around four or five hundred. I was so happy because mm-hmm. it was like double that when I went out, like sixteen or seventeen Bitcoin or whatever it was, you know, not much. Um, but um, I remember so, so there was that, and it was. I, they were on the first having there wasn't much of a crazy price appreciation at all it was like very it was more solemn um but i remember after that having is when the miners started dying and once mm-hmm. the miners started some miners started capitulating after the having not before that's when we started to see that bullish momentum really start to turn so like i always uh, a lot of friends are calling me around this time i'm like don't trade the having it's the worst time to trade this is the time mm-hmm. when whales are going to trade knowing that you're trading and they're going to wreck you. So unless you're a whale, it's not a good time to trade the having. Never a good time to trade the having. Yep. Um, that, that was true and false. Uh, but the, the sample size is so small that you can't yeah, necessarily read uh, causation and, into the correlation of the havings. Um, you know, uh, Dan Matuszewski, who's, who was uh, on a previous interview related to the having. Um, kind of called it out. <laughs> Bitcoin has pretty much been on a straight shot up since it was created. So, you know, of course the halvings are going to look bullish, but really it's more about the the narrative of, you know, Bitcoin's hardness as money. And, and, but every uh, chart and looks like, cap. Yeah. every chart can look like, you know, and, and like the zero hedge thing, it says like, you know, at any length of time, every chart will go to zero or whatever it is. The same can be said in the same span of time, every chart can look like it's going up. You can look at any chart, and you know control the time frames but but you're right bitcoin listen i'll say it right now bitcoin is built to appreciate or mm-hmm. you know i feel it'll it'll have to die if it doesn't continue to appreciate now, obviously not as fast it can continue to appreciate slowly 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 over time like we saw over years but the value of bitcoin at least the value of bitcoin to other things uh has to continue appreciating but why do you think you know you're you're an, you're an economist why do you think that satoshi did a having instead of like, I know why you like, I'm, why I'm you, not an, I'm not an you, economist. Go on. Yeah. Well, you're a good analyst and you're good at reading charts and things like that. Why? I mean, you run Masari. That's that, it, you know, it's a data company. So you're, you're a data scientist, you're a crypto data scientist. Why do you think Satoshi created that four year thing instead of just like making it more of like a, what's the, like a real time having what like a real time inflation the, rate where it's like the exponent, the exponential decay. Yeah. yeah. And I think this is something, um, that um, uh, the it maybe just a, a fortunate accident of history. Mike Hearn actually wrote about this as well, right? In terms of you know, would it have been ideal to have an exponential decay instead of this kind of artificial construct around the having? Um, and ultimately, you know, that might have allowed you to have this perpetual low inflation yeah. um, that that Bitcoin triangulated on instead of just the the actual hard cap of twenty one million. Um, and you know. Well, Maybe we can get into this after I answer your your question, but um, uh, it remains to be seen whether uh, perpetual low inflation would be ideal versus transitioning to a fee market. Um, that can be part two. Part one, though, um, I think it's a happy accident of history because it does create these natural narrative cycles in Bitcoin's evolution. Yeah. And I've compared it to events, actually, right? So um, the very best sales days that you have when you're promoting an event, the day you launch, the door, and the announcements that you make along the way 
you know, on major headline speakers, but more importantly, price hikes, right? Everybody piles in before a price hike so that they know I'm planning on purchasing a ticket anyway. I have three days to check this off my to-do list before the price goes up by, you know, $100 or $500 or whatever it is. Um, and I think that those flag dates create a little bit of that narrative momentum where people think about their purchases in advance or their trading activity well in advance. And they try to uh, ascertain, you know, when they're going to be able to get a, a step ahead of the market. Yeah. Um, so the having matters less in terms of dollars and cents and more from a, a narrative cycle because you know Bitcoin search activity is going to spike. You know everybody's going to be talking about Bitcoin and about the halving and the fact that it is harder money and it's less inflationary than, than all other alternatives and blah, 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 blah. So you know that the increased attention, just like any marketing funnel, is going to yeah. lead to higher conversions than steady state. And you're going to have a spike of activity, you know, around this event. So you might as well get get a jump on it. And by the way, that creates this kind of virtuous cycle, you know, on the way up and, and, and in particular post-having. Um, and I think, um, you know, the, uh, the there's kind of the, the efficient markets hypothesis camp where all this information has been known from day one. So it should be priced in. But then there's the, I think, underappreciated meme factor of, of havings where we wouldn't have gotten that benefit and that kind of narrative cycle if, um, if we just had a, an exponential decay. Um, there wouldn't be a four-year celebration. There wouldn't be um, these, you know, crazy charts that, you know, people yeah. pull out, out well, of their ass. Yeah, there wouldn't be anymore uh, or crypto in general. Yeah. The um, only difference is, uh, not the only difference, the only, there, there are, so there, I think that it's a mixture of everything you said. Um, and it's not, it's not one thing here. There's definitely like, cause I'll be, you know, you look at your data science, you look at metrics. I look at metrics too, but I look at also like weird metrics. Like for example, I'm looking at charts that show me how many times the word Bitcoin is mentioned on 4chan every day, like mm -hmm. charts like that, you know, because the meme factor and the hype factor is definitely a part of it. But it's also, I look at these people, the memers, the, these are the retail people. These are the ones that are like buying, selling, using Bitcoin spending with their friends or just speculating on it or they're not spending it or overall crypto. So it's a, almost like a little bit of a sentiment, sentiment analysis. Um, but I, I completely agree with you on, on almost everything you said. The only, the only thing I won't agree is that it's, it's a one thing. I think it's a mixture of, of everything. Like markets are efficient to a perfect example. So maybe I am in that hypothesis camp that believes that everything is priced in. But I also know the end of that quote, right? Markets are efficient. The end of the quote says when we allow them to be. And so we obviously don't allow them to be like 100%. We're not 100% free market. So there are things that are manipulated for sure. There are things that are, that are, that are affecting other, you know, um, that are affecting the markets. Uh, narratives. Dude, the, our whole industry is one big narrative. Like everything we, we started in 2010 with a narrative. 2009. The first line of the Bitcoin, the first, you know, Genesis blog, it's all narratives. That's the whole thing. Chancellor on brink of second bailout for banks. It's all a narrative. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, yeah, welcome to Bitcoin. <laughs> um, I want to I want to talk about one. Uh, it's not necessarily um, fully aligned with the having, but the the first having is end of 2012, 2013. There's this epic rally. You're on top of the world. I remember distinctly um, that I was going to see you uh, 
at Miami for the yeah. Bitcoin conference. And uh, it turns out that doesn't happen, right? This is mid-January of 2014. You're uh, basically intercepted uh, at the uh, port of entry in, in New York uh, when you should have been on your way down to Miami for a keynote. And um, we ended up meeting for the first time a couple weeks later when I was in New York for the bit license hearing and, and you were under house arrest. Um, but between that kind of cooling off period where you're on trial, you ultimately enter the plea and then, and then you do you know time in prison, it basically follows the entire bear yep. market decline. And then freaky. Get, you, and then you get out like <laughs> right before, right before the next having. Um, so what was that time warp like? Because you left and Mt. Gox imploded. Um, and then you come back and all of a sudden, like you, you basically, if you're going to miss some time in the industry, I guess you timed it pretty well because uh, you missed the entire bear market. And, and like Not the, the entire, the, the only way I most of it, most of it. Yeah. Was if, was it the only, cause I, I got arrested at like the height. So you had like $900 or whatever, but I still had that. I still had to live off of Bitcoin mostly for the first year until I actually went in. So it is, it was like the perfect hold, but I did have to spend a lot of Bitcoins along the way, like with legal fees and stuff. But it was, I remember when I went in, I asked to tell myself that the amount of money that I have left to the value, it's like maybe ten or $20,000 will be enough to like get me started when I get out and things like that. But I'll have to go back to work, get a real job, probably not in Bitcoin or crypto. And I spent a lot of time thinking about what I would do um, while I was inside. And for two years, my wife was the breadwinner of the family and um, had to send me money in prison to support me to pay for things because not everything in prison is free. Like the basic level, like the shit expired food is, but if you want decent food, you have to pay for it, pay for everything in jail. Um, mm-hmm. So, so yeah, so, but I was a little nervous that my life was, was following that bear and bull market because I don't like the bear markets personally because the first bear market was, was prison, right? Then the, the next bear market was the whole Winklevoss litigation. And that was like 10 months long, maybe even longer than that from like start to finish. So I was hoping that that was a sign of a bull market. But to mm-hmm. me around that time was actually maybe that bullish momentum because from then till now, like the prices, I remember the price around that Winklevoss litigation because I was thinking numbers in my head all the time. Um, they were like 55,000 Bitcoin, 5,000 Bitcoin. And I'm like, how much, every day that number is changing. Like one day it's like 46 million and then it's like 87 million. I'm like, shit, you know, it's crazy. But um, so that when that ended and I'm thinking, yeah, now we're ready to go for like a bull market. But in fact, I kind of look at that day as the day I got out of jail, right? But the the price was double. But then the real bull market didn't happen for like a year, a year and a half after I got out of jail. But I didn't realize that I was actually living in a bull market that whole time because the litigation ended, I got married, you know, like we moved into a new house, like all these good life things that happened. I got, we got our amazing Mm -hmm. dog, like just... Uh, I had personal developments with PTSD, like had been getting better. So like there were a lot of good things that were happening. And then, so now I'm hoping that we're about to go into that like real bull market. Like at this point, that's what I'm hoping for. Thanks to our sponsor Bitstamp for making this special halving series possible. Bitstamp's the original global crypto exchange. We're proud to be celebrating their third Bitcoin halving. Doesn't get much more OG than that. Since 2011, Bitstamp's been the preferred exchange for serious traders and investors worldwide with over 4 million customers, including top financial institutions. They've got some serious trading tech, 
matching engine from NASDAQ, the best APIs in the industry, and TradeView, their advanced trading interface with live charting and deep analytical tools that are available on web and mobile. So you can join the 4 million traders on Bitstamp by downloading their app at the App Store or Google Play, or go to bitstamp.net slash pro to get started. And a reminder, for Bitstamp users, Masari is now offering 25% off of Masari Pro, our professional analytics toolkit with best-in-class research and advanced tools to help identify your next investments using promo code BITSTAMP. That's Masari.io, offer code BITSTAMP to get ahead of the crypto curve. I think, um, you know, the I've, I've always thought that one of the best services that could be offered in crypto, um, and I'm surprised we haven't seen anyone actually uh, actually create this and, and follow through with it is just um, a locked Bitcoin service where you decide to deposit funds and it is programmatically locked up for five years, right? So it's basically like a forced holding service. Yeah. And, and, and going to jail when you did was probably the closest that anyone in the industry has come to forced holding. Um, because it would have been tough for you to access anything that was in cold storage or, or, or that had been socked away. And they're, they're uh, collectible, like make basically over the years, the coins that I've sold that I've never sold mm-hmm. are the collectible coins that people have given me or I bought over the years, like the Cassatius coins and the stuff like that. Those Bitcoins have survived since 2011. So I tell mm-hmm. people, you want to buy Bitcoin, you want to force yourself to hold it, buy like... Bobby Lee's having ballet wallet where it's like 12 Bitcoin, but the premium is going to be so large on that, that you're never going to want to sell that. You're never going to want to redeem it. You know, like 20 or 30 of them ever made. You can't even buy it anymore, mm-hmm. but a hardware wallet or whatever, uh, 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 you know, things like that. Um, those have traditionally been um, the best ones for me. The problem with time lock um, is that the fear is with that, is that there could be like a rogue team down the road that could easily render those Bitcoins unspendable anymore. So by, by putting Bitcoin in a, in a, in smart contracts have been very like, you see a lot of pushback with smart contracts on Bitcoin for a lot of reasons, but one of them is for fungibility. The early mm-hmm. develop the, the Bitcoin developers of today, like we can spend so much time talking about how shitty Bitcoin development is run. One of the few, there are very good things about it. And one of that is that the inability for, for Bitcoin to really change in, in, in a large way. And the, the, the Bitcoin developers and the Bitcoin developer community, because they're like people that work for free largely, and then ones that just work very, very hard for, for little to no money, like work 10, 12 hours a day. These people, are, of course, they're going to be passionate. Of course, they're going to be radical. There's still that anarchism, crypto anarchism, that like flowing in the undercurrents of I feel like the Bitcoin code still to today and the beyond our cards is still there. Uh, the business community um, is a lot less of that, but the, the development community and the miner community is still there because miners are the same way. They have to work, work, work for no pay. Um, so you're seeing a lot of that and you're seeing, because you're seeing like the crypto, the anarchist community, like still, still being a part of that, that undercurrent, um, all those narratives are still there. Um, the smart contracts prevent, um, those, those developers prevent any type of major changes. So going back to time um, to um, locking your, your Bitcoin, the fear is that a rogue team of developers that would come that would surpass these or take over could eventually take those Bitcoin that are now in a category or in a contract, say these are not spendable anymore or whatever. So basically 
making sure all Bitcoins are always fungible and they're all basically the same. I mean, you see people that don't even want to use the new, um, uh, the new type of uh, batch 32 addresses, uh, the ones that start like BC1. People don't want to use those. And, you know, even there was a huge adoption for SegWit addresses that start with three because people were worried that they would make differences in types of Bitcoins. But no, that's not how Bitcoin works. Bitcoin is just your right to spend whatever's there, you know. Um, that's another rabbit hole. I know, I, I go on tangents and digress, so I apologize. Um, well, it's, I think, uh, you know, valuable to, to hear the perspective because um, if you've held for any length of time through any number of cycles, except for buying Bitcoin in one of the 21 days or, or, or whatever it was, yeah. um, you know, six weeks that we were above 10,000, basically any other time period that you're talking about, um, you'd be just fine if you just held for a few years, forgot about it, and leveraged one of these services or, or um, uh, a Casasis coin or, or, or the like. Um, I guess, you know, the, the other element here, um, we could talk about halvings, but really it's just it's the kind of natural business cycle of crypto, whether it's having sparked or, yeah. or not. Um, you were kind of in the first wave, absent for the second, and uh, now you know, active in the industry the again. Third, and, yeah, well, uh, you're, you're public, but you're, you're not necessarily active in, in terms of, you know, building, building companies. Um, what are you excited about um, just personally and professionally, you know, within the Bitcoin realm or crypto more generally, if, if you've uh, gotten bullish beyond just Bitcoin? Um, I, I made a subconscious decision to not, be a public facing like CEO or to like launch my own company in Bitcoin, at least for the foreseeable future until I felt that I had like a solid um, psychological and, and personal and financial like foundation. And also I'm only 30. I have so much to learn. And it, when I was making those decisions, I, st I, I still had a lot to learn. I still have so much more to learn. Um, so I don't think I'm at the point that I should be even running a company and to, you know, to be responsible for, for, for its employees at this point, having said that, what I did do now, and, and it was actually uh, a sign of the times, a lot of companies and people wanted to still work with me when I got out of prison, but they were free publicly to announce it. So what had happened was, is I started working for, and actually I still have some consulting and advising uh, advisory clients since those years. Um, and I've been working for privately, some of the largest companies in the space, some companies that you probably uh, have invested in, um, largely in, in mergers and acquisitions, m and I love the art of the deal. I love m and I love, because of my Rolodex, um, I brought together a lot of big deals that uh, have been announced. I was a part of those, um, you know, whether it was bringing those people together, being in those rooms, um, making the connections, formulating the ideas. I love doing that. And I, I love that because um, I'm in a fortunate position where I didn't need to um, as a bull market happened, like worry about a paycheck every, every week or whatever. So I started, um, with these projects, you can work for the success fee and it almost gives you that adrenaline adrenaline. That's how I joined the business community. I love doing that because it gives me the choice to do, but it also allows me to like maintain insight. Um, so you're seeing, um, and you tell me if I'm wrong about this, I feel like 2020, you're going to see that you're going to see a huge consolidation and whether that is over the next few months you see um, whether, you know, the price really has to double. Um, what people don't realize is that miners, 
like the price has to continue to grow very quickly for miners to continue making the same amount of money they made before. Every day that doesn't happen, if it takes a year for like the price to even double where it is now, if it takes us a year to get to 16,000, if we ever get there, whatever, you know, cause nothing's ever guaranteed. We see a lot of people lose out. So do you think 2020 will be the year of consolidation? The insight that I have is the companies that I'm working with. Um, I, I recently like, uh, I'll give you an example. Um, one of the companies, I don't want to say which top 10, top, top 10, uh, company by, by, you know, uh, employees and, and, and revenue in, in our space. They actually finally, I don't took them so long. They set up a whole MA like division. Um, so that was like, as of last month, so you're seeing that now I'm con I'm, and I was confused why it took people so long to do that. Um, but what do you think? Do you think you'll see like the year of consolidation in 2020? I think we've already started to see it. Um, yeah. and, uh, and, and part of that is driven by, you know, kind of the, the broader macro environment, um, other teams, other, you know, entrepreneurs getting a little bit more risk averse, uh, having, you know, more difficulty raising subsequent rounds. Um, and you know, the fact that the exchanges, uh, are the ones that have all the money and, and basically, uh, are, uh, either the primary employers or the primary customers for yeah. so much activity within the ecosystem. Um, so I think, um, you know, I, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure that we're going to continue to see consolidation, but the, the, the lagging, uh, impact of a having rally is usually this kind of trickle down wealth effect that benefits, you know, most new projects, most new entrepreneurs, um, and gives them a little bit more latitude so that they don't feel like they need to sell, uh, or, or, you know, kind of join one of the big boys before, you know, they, they get their lunch eaten. Yeah. Um, so I'm looking forward to, you know, that part of the cycle because typically that's when we've seen some of the most exciting, um, new companies emerge. Yeah. And then, uh, or, or, you know, uh, get birthed. And then during the next kind of bear cycle, when we go from 150,000 and then Bitcoin crashes all the way down to 30, um, you know, that'll, that'll be a, a good sign that, um, <laughs> so you and I are like right now, quite, what we're, we're, you and I are doing is we're like doing the opposite of what we talked about. So we talk about how Bitcoin doesn't have these narratives and these cycles or whatever. It's more of like, uh, the product of, but here now we're talking about these different cycles and the era of and the year of, and it's largely my fault because I like using lingo. It's it's easier to talk. But here's no, another I, like I've I've uh, yeah. I mean, just to be clear, I've I've always thought that the industry moves in narrative cycles, and and the we're going to continue to see a number of of bull and bear markets in in Bitcoin. It's going to continue to be highly do, volatile. Do you think that'll become more gray though, in terms of the cycle periods, like? For example, it used to be that, like we talked about, a lot of these companies were launched during the bear market, but all these companies that are hashtag DeFi, like BlockFi or whatever, they all launched in the past, I don't know, what, nine months? Is the past not, what's considered a bear market? Are the last six months bear market? Like what, when did bear market officially end? That's what I'm confused about. Well, I think that the, those divisions only get obvious in hindsight. Yeah, true story, actually. That's um, a good point. So, uh, you know, wh where we are right now in the cycle, uh, I think is, is a really important moment for, for Bitcoin um, and crypto more broadly because you're seeing how it does in a recessionary environment for the first time. Yeah, and unfortunately, right. the kind of international response has been to print as much money as possible and, and take these unprecedented intervention uh, steps. So, uh, you know, if not now, then when is kind of the mindset for, for Bitcoin. And that's, that's totally outside of the having. 
but the narrative plays very well because you know that the implied inflation rate of Bitcoin here on out is under 2%, which is under the, the long-term inflation target for the Fed and other you know, central banks. Um, and you know that there's you know, a flight to hard assets, uh, a flight to gold, a flight to property and, and, and real estate and um, other non-financial assets that is just starting to get underway and, and you know, will likely accelerate as, um, as the impact of some of these interventionist how measures. Much, you know, really how much did the government print in 2008, nine, whatever? Do you remember? It was like six trillion? I forget. No, it was much less than that. It was much less than that. It well, was. Uh, it was. It was. It was a couple trillion between the. Um, I mean, TARP, the Troubled Asset Relief Program, was less. It was like seven hundred billion, um, and then the stimulus was another trillion or so. Um, Did you guys yeah. get a stimulus? I don't remember. What had happened? Is, after yeah, I mean, the, def the, the, def the deficit this year is going to be four trillion, and that's in addition to all of the. Um, Fed easing and, and balance sheet expansion. So it's we, it's 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 just it's insane. If we look at larger life cycles, though, it's kind of crazy how we print all this money. Two thousand nine Bitcoin launches, epic ten year bull market. Now we just print another two trillion dollars or whatever it is. Let's go for another ten year epic bull market. Can we do that, Ryan? Well, uh, I I'm not sure who. Uh, I think I've seen a, a couple people say some version of this, but you know, Bitcoin was born in the last recession. It will it will come of age during this recession and financial crisis. Um, and I think there's some truth to that because uh, the magnitude of what is happening right now in the financial system is an order of magnitude more stark than what we saw previously uh, in the 2008 financial crisis. Yeah. Um, and the response has been proportionate uh, in, in size. So, uh, you know, again, if, if not now, then when uh, for, for Bitcoin having or no, uh, it just so happens that the uh, that this particular having, I think, is going to have a, a a pretty sizable impact from a narrative standpoint, given everything that's going on outside of just the Bitcoin bubble. Um, you know, maybe maybe one last question uh, to to riff on Charlie. Uh, you know, the sure. the one topic that's been brought up um, time and again with respect to the havings is that it could potentially undermine the long term security of Bitcoin. You know, you spent a lot of time with miners and, and, and you know, know that uh, ecosystem pretty well. It's obviously changed considerably from having one when you could still mine on your uh, GPU uh, cores versus actually having to, to purchase ASICs. Um, the uh, second having, it was kind of the, the, the industrial mining apparatus was already in place, but the margins were still very healthy for the larger players. Now it's kind of ruthlessly competitive at the margin, and, um, and, and it remains to be seen just how secure the network will be um, as the seniorage in the network declines and, and fees at some point, whether it's now or in a couple yeah. of years as, as inflation dips below 1%, um, at some point fees are going to have to pick up the slack. Um, how, how have you thought about that or, or have you thought about the mining apparatus and, and, and what the having means for the, the network security in general, or who have you talked to that, that have you know, helped uh, enlighten you or, or get you more knowledgeable uh, so, about that dynamic? It's a good question. And I spoke to, so I spoke to, um, different types of miners. I spoke to, you know, people like, uh, Bitfury and, and slush. And then I would speak to who have been mining since, I don't know, longer than like me, like predate the charts, you know? Um, and then you have uh, the newer ones like HUD-8 mining that work with, you know, the ones like Bitfury and you have HUD-8 and then you have Q2 
Canaan, I think you have so many of these different mining groups now, these mega, mega, mega companies around the world, uh, Genesis spoke to. And um, the difference is now a lot of them are preparing so they can, they can prepare for this in advance. They have different like uh, revenue models. They, they almost like put the having in their, their decks, you know, for, to raise capital uh, to their investors. Like, look, we need money to, to continue operating or whatever. The narratives are definitely part. Miners need narrative. They need it. They need these narratives, I feel like, um, to continue growing. But um, I, th I thought about a lot. I think about a lot of what you said, and it does scare me because consolidation in the mining world is a fear, especially when you have a few different companies. So like a fear is, for example, you have a few different mining companies only, and these companies eventually create like an association and a working group. And then these mining organizations decide to create like a self-regulatory organization. And then the next step is like blacklists and basically coins and addresses that they don't want to accept. When that happens, Bitcoin's over and the miners know that. So that'll prevent that from happening like in a blatant way, but it can't prevent, you know, miners or people or anyone from trying to undermine Bitcoin in like a, a much slower way. And so that's the fear. The, the other side of that was I remember that, there was a fear of this when GPUs. So at first it was like everyone was mining on their MacBooks and their uh, window, you know, shit, window XP computers or whatever it was. And then it was, um, you could mine with your graphics cards and then there's uh, FPGA boards and then it was ASICs. So um, I remember every time it was like an evolution of different type of efficiencies on minings, there was the whole centralization fear. If you look at the charts, not the charts of Bitcoin, but if you look at the hash rate charts, the snapshot charts, there were times that mining pools, and there still are, get 30-40% of the, the uh, network hash rate. But that's okay for two reasons. One, it brings about efficiency. So you're bringing about, now all these miners are head-to-head -head with their margins. And dude, you and I are like, you know, we're, we're huge capitalists, so we know that, that monopolies are bad. The more companies, the better. Let them fight for margins because they'll go and they'll do R&D and they'll create more efficient chips, more efficient computer systems that'll mine Bitcoin more efficiently and it'll be more secure for Bitcoin. In fact, if it wasn't for Bitcoin miners, environmentalists, no one would really talk to them because you, Bitcoiners and Bitcoin miners you know, are out there doing hydroelectric, uh, that are building hydroelectric dams, that are, um, that are putting for more efficiency and cleaner and renewable energy. These are the miners that are largely doing it. Now, I can't take all the credit, but the mining community is a largely, largely part of it. So that's the first thing that I'm okay with. Uh, the second part is that, um, you know, when you have all these miners that are, that are mining Bitcoin and they're validating transactions, most people don't realize that they're actually mining pools. And so what you saw with, with Segwit2x, one of the good things that came out of that was that Miners that are mining on mining pools, and so you look at slush has 34% of or whatever of the mining hash rate. It's not that one person on his phone can push a button and control 34% of the hash rate. It's that pool is made up of 30 of, of, of maybe millions or tens of thousands of different miners around the world. And what came out of that Segwit2x thing was different pools now, F2 pool, slush pool, whatever, took away their ability to vote on behalf of their miners. They don't want that responsibility. So now, you know, so out of these like fear and worries and these talks that you and I are talking about right now, miners are listening to your show. Business owners, CEOs are listening to your show. 
you know, they're listening to this right now. And you and I are like thought leaders in the space. I'm not saying that it's just because there aren't many thought leaders in the space. So you're going to have them listening. And now here it is. Here's the growth. Here's the change. Here's the efficiency. It's happening. It's happening now. It's going to continue happening. And it's happening because the shows like yours are, are, are happening and people are talking. And that's, that's what we need. Talking, transparency, disclosures. We've talked about it so many times. It's so important. It's so important. It's the ethos of the blockchain, transparency. Amen. Um, well, I think that's as good a place as any to, uh, to end up. Charlie, uh, where can people find you on the interwebs? You've been very active socially and, uh, and, and sent a lot of great stories on your own podcast. Yeah. Um, but uh, tell us where, uh, where can people check that out and subscribe. I'm the chief storyteller of, of untoldstories.com, um, which is a, a podcast like yours, education and, and entertainment at the same time. Um, they can follow me at, at Charlie Shrem on Twitter. Um, and I, and I, I always try to end off podcasts like this. I really try to answer. I do answer every email. I, I'm really good at it. I try to. Please don't write letters to my house. Please. Thank you. Have a great day. That's how I just have to end the podcast off like that. Excellant. Um, well, the time uh, for try- writing hand- handwritten letters when I was in jail is over. I don't want that yeah. anymore. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, we'll keep that in mind, and I will only pepper you with DMs. Um, everybody, uh, thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Charlie. Uh, he's, uh, he's an OG and a wild man, and he's got a fantastic camouflage shirt for different components of this episode. So I figured we'll out what to, happened. The we'll try to get the, we'll try to get, yeah, it's the palm trees. The palm trees yeah. are reflected on my shirt. So we'll, we'll, we'll try, we'll try to get the, um, uh, the best clips with it going in and out because there was some quite bedazzling se- sequences in here. Um, I'll talk to you later. Thank you guys. Uh, if you want to check out the Bitcoin having series that we have, go to Masari.io. We have a having 2020 tab and resource center that's sponsored by Bitstamp. Um, along with two research reports from our team, this conversation with Charlie and the special series, which will also include conversations with Dan Matazuski, former head of Circle Trade, Bobby Lee, uh, former BTC China uh, CEO, and uh, Tor Demeester, a uh, one of the legendary Bitcoin analysts, and actually the first person that I ever saw speak about Bitcoin in Vegas in 2013. Um, but until then, uh, be good, stay safe, and thank you again to Charlie Shrem. Until next time, peace. That's a wrap. Thanks for listening. New episodes of Unqualified Opinions go live weekdays at noon Eastern time. You can follow me in the meantime on Twitter at 2BitIdiot if you want to continue the conversation or troll me. Otherwise, I'll see you next week.